0: Hello, hello, everyone. My name is John Edwards. With me, as always, is Zeke Baker, and together we make the dad's drink and bourbon. Say hello to the folks, Zeke.
1: Howdy-do, howdy-do. Howdy-do? Well, you said I'm repetitive. I'm just throwing you some curves.
0: No, I just said there are certain things you say, like indeed indeed and whenever you give a list instead of you say etc and then you say or whatever you want to call it at the end but i know what i do i i say everything is interesting and i know the listeners are sitting there and saying john no not everything is interesting so these are the things that happen when i have to edit our show <laughs> and i listen to us over and over and over and over
1: hey i just you know try to throw a change up here and there curveball whatever you want to call it Keep it real. <laughs>
0: Whatever you want to call it. Yep. (laughs) Well, you certainly... When you reached out to me for what we are talking about tonight... This definitely is a curveball because there are a couple things here that we're doing. I haven't seen a lot of talk on this. It came out at the end of last year, and that's the 1792 Barton Bottled and Bond. So we are going to put that up against your staple, which is the Early Times Bottled and Bond. That was your daily drinker of the year last year, right?
1: Indeed. Uh Indeed. 25 or so. 23 a, to
0: 25 for a liter.
1: For a liter, I, I don't think you can beat it. And I, I stand by that statement strongly.
0: We have a liter of cola. It's for a cop. <laughs>
1: <laughs> shenanigans. I call shenanigans. shenanigans.
0: Ooh. <laughs> but we are going to put these together in a side-by-side tonight. So the curveball that you threw at me today, we may or may not be going on a 1792 fold pick if it works out. But one of the things that we were talking about is that we don't see a lot of variance between the 1792 foolproof picks. That's not a knock on anybody that is picking them. And it's one of those things that kind of makes us think, what is Barton doing that is keeping the flavor the same with all of their stuff? If you think about their rickhouses, all their rickhouses are going to be different levels. There could be multiple levels. And and as we learned in talking to Al Young, their rickhouse could be six stories high. Four Roses is only one. How are they keeping that taste profile so similar? Between the different levels of those Rickhouses in those 1792 foolproof picks.
1: Yeah, definitely right there with you. Especially if you really, you know, extrapolate and factor in. I mean, how many stores had a foolproof pick in 2017? I mean, I, I never saw it confirmed. It's probably one of those things you really can't get in writing. But plenty of folks all pretty much insinuated their sales of 1792 would be directly linked to how much of an allocation they received from Sazerac Buffalo Trace parent company.
0: That Wheatley vodka. That's the one that uh, everybody had end caps and displays of Wheatley vodka. Like I said, for
1: for a pick, and and granted, neither of us had ever had any of them that that I'm aware of, uh, even offline in a side-by-side or head-to-head, however you want to look at it. Retrospectively, We also thought, man, those are really, have all always been really good mainstay picks, but equally neither of us, at least that I know, have had one that jumped out as, man, that was, that was the one to have.
0: Well, and it's one of those things with those, it's, You know they're going to come in at $50. You know they are going to come in and be good. I've never had a 1792 foolproof pick that I absolutely said, wow, I really dislike this. So I think when we explore this tonight, we're going to find what the trends are. There might be some things that are similar. There might be some things that are different. We might find some unique trends. It's all in the experiment, right? We are scientists, here. We have an experiment. We have a hypothesis. We're going to put these together. You know, we think that these are pretty much going to taste the same. I've never seen a lot of variance in this, but tonight we're going to put it to the test.
1: Yeah. looks like say we never, at least I don't think either one of us ever sat there in a uh run through a a blind of them. So were we not paying attention or were we just enjoying very similar single barrels over and over?
0: Well, the the funny thing about this one, and and I said to you, I have no idea how we're going to do this blind. It's not necessarily that we're trying to pick out which store pick is which one. We have a store pick here from Midtown Cork Dorks in Nashville, Tennessee. We have one from Elixir Spirits and our buddy Turok down at Spring Hill, Tennessee. And then we have one from Liquor Barn. Our goal is not necessarily to pick which is the pick. You know, I, if we're going to sit here and and nitpick and say, you know, Zeke, you tell me which one the elixir pick is, there's no way we're going to be able to do that. But what we're going to do is we're going to have these blind. We're going to make some tasting notes. We're going to rank them. Then we will tell each other which one is which after we get kind of the ranking out there. And then we'll talk about what differences we found between these, if any. I mean, that sounds like the, the most fair way to do it, right?
1: Yeah, I'm on board there. Like like John said, we don't want to, we're we're not trying to pick a winner by any means. It's really just see, you know, on a larger scale, how much these picks can vary, you know, especially in today's markets where certain picks, certain stores, certain names, they really pull a lot of extra weight and not a knock, but in this case, are they really putting out a consistent product even for a pick?
0: So before we even get to that, did you have a good week? I haven't asked you.
1: I don't remember the week. What was it? I don't know. Chase the kid, I'm sure, a few times. I don't know of anything monumentous. Did I tell you anything monumentous I did?
0: No. <laughs> no, I was just checking. I mean, I was being polite before we just dove right in here. But let's dive in here. We're going to fast forward the tape a little bit like we always do. So Zeke and I can taste all of these five different pours. And then we'll come back to you with the results. So, Zeke, play that beautiful bean footage. And we're back. That was a lot of pours, Zeke. We had five different pours there. We had the 1792 bottled and Bond, the early times bottled in Bond, and three store picks of 1792 full proof. The 1792 Bottle & Bond, there was one batch that was released in the fall of 2017. There's going to be another batch that's released every fall from here on out. So it's it's weird because it's kind of an allocated bottled & Bond. It's not a readily available bottled & Bond. It is going to have a lower allocation than some of these other Bottle & Bonds, but you will find it in tennessee that's the one difference there comes in at the high 30s low 40s i've seen it ever anywhere from 36 to 45. of course being a bottle and bonds you know it's 100 proof 50 abv this one the mash is not disclosed but they think the rye is somewhere between 15 to 25 percent rye this one is more of a higher rye mash bottled and bond I think that's evident we'll get into the tasting notes but I think that's evident in the tasting notes that it is a little bit of a higher rye. The early times bottled in bond you can find this in Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, and Oregon. It is $23 for a liter. You might pay $25. It's you know plus or minus a few dollars there. This is age stated at four years where the 1792 is not, of course, being bottle and bond. It's 100 proof, 50% ABV. And we did put these in a side-by-side. It was not a blind. So we did put these next to each other. The reason we did not do a blind on this one in full disclosure is that Zeke can easily point out that early times. He's had so much of it. That he, it just wouldn't be right. I would be starting at a disadvantage if I tried to go up against him in this early times. Because he he would know what it was. So we did these on a side-by-side. Zeke, why don't you lead us off? Tell me what you got on both of these.
1: Can do, will do, but... Also, even though the 1792 doesn't disclose an age statement, to be ballin' and bond, it has to be at least four years old, correct? Yes, sir. Sorry. John's more of the, uh, he handles that stuff better than I do.
0: But you're learning stuff. I'm very <laughs> proud of you.
1: Hey, uh, you know, take te- take a horse to water.
0: Yes, and you and you can make it drink, too, if you're one of the dads drinking bourbon.
1: As long as that water's bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's see, for uh, poor one... Thought the nose was very sweet, uh, somewhere between a blend of bananas Foster and banana pudding. I would equate that to just the uh, you know alcohol singe coming off of there. Inversely, you could tell me which one
0: it was. It was a side by side. I really didn't know. I didn't pour your drinks. I know I wasn't paying attention. So, do you know which one was in each glass?
1: I mean, I got a guess based on test tasting them. You mean?
0: So you poured yourself? You blinded yourself?
1: It's not hard. I made it here. I don't pay attention. <laughs> I mean, there's five link Cairns. I know what three are in the blind and the other two are. And then, you know, I think about something, do something. I'm an easily distracted person.
0: Sorry. All right. So so the first one was, <clears throat> but it had foster. Somewhere between
1: that and pudding, but definitely a strong alcohol coming off. Inversely, I thought the palate, um, it was really, really minty. Um, almost to the point of being salty.
0: You've been it? getting mint on everything
1: lately. That's where I am. I don't know, but I mean, this thing was just to me a mint bomb. I mean, like I say, it was, I literally put down salty. Um, finish wise, light warmth. It tried to hug, but didn't quite get there. Uh, based on that, my guess is it's the 1792. My only random thought would be, when John and I have talked offline about things, I really almost like the 1792 high rye more than I like foolproof at times. To me, it's a more enjoyable pour. And so, for this to be a, a higher rye content, supposedly, yet be not in my wheelhouse, um, I'm a little confused. It is what it is. Won't be the first time, won't be the last. For the second pour, uh, again, a very sweet nose bananas really came across again i don't know i was surprised how similar they were this seemed much more fruity i would equate it to uh maybe some yo play with strawberry or blueberries at the bottom you know it's a little mixed uh play yogurt thing you can buy you shake up and they give you two or three fruit flavors but that's where i was palette wise seemed like a dark chocolate banana sundae. There was some bitterness that came in, which I would just equate to being young Oat and some heat from the Ricks. My other thought, again, I don't know where I got this tangent, but uh, a chocolate frozen banana.
0: I'm not going to have you rank them yet. I'm going to make sure I jump in so that neither one of us is kind of swayed by the other one. But one of the things that you said I I wonder when are we gonna get seventeen ninety-two picks of sweet wheat, high rye, things like that, because if they expanded those store picks other than those foolproof, I could see a lot more people getting those high rye and sweet wheat picks.
1: I mean I would go for high rye. Sweet wheat hasn't done much for me thus far, but I mean to me the high rye has a sweeter profile than, than sweet wheat. I, I really think it does.
0: Oh, it's super sweet. That high ride doesn't taste spicy. I think the bottled and bond is probably harsher than the high rye.
1: Yeah, like I said, that's what really threw me for a curve, considering they should both be a high rye mash. And seemingly, if they're both Barton, both 792, you would assume, which is always a dangerous word, but they should be getting grains from the same sources.
0: And I think one of the things that's probably thrown us this year as we've been diving into all of this and learning a lot more is a high rye doesn't necessarily equate to spicy. A higher rye may end up being sweet because of a whole bunch of reasons of how it's in the barrel, what it's actually picking up, how long it sits in the barrel, uh, the age statement, which is essentially how long it sits in the barrel, but you know, also the, the proof. What's the proof that you're actually bottling it at with that high rye? If you look at the bell that we've had that have that 36% rye mash, but they're 11 years at least and higher in proof, those have turned out being really sweet. I know. And not to peel back the curtain too much, but I know, Zeke, uh, you've had some willets that are high rye, and they almost taste a little bit like weeders.
1: Yeah, it's it's really all over the place, and we haven't figured out where we want to materialize a, sh- a show or shows out of this yet. But uh, it's probably at the top of our intrigueness is really trying to learn more about rye and, and even... Where it's sourced, what flavor profiles, regional differences can bring, and at this point, I mean, I, I really think it's possibly the most phenomenal grain that can be used, depending on what you know about it, where you get it from, and how you incorporate it with everything else you know that's going in there. Like John kind of alluded to, we we've talked about it, and we're we're working to to get there. We just need to get everything lined up and and have enough sources to where we're comfortable on a showing some nice regional variances and then different products across different areas.
0: And Drew Colesveen, if you're listening, we'd love to sit there with you and talk about it, because I think (laughs) you might have a, a point of view on it that we'd like to figure out. But It's funny because somebody came to me about four or five years ago and said, rye is going to be the new bourbon. And I said, I don't know. I mean, bourbon's always going to be bourbon. And they said, no, the next big thing is going to be rye. And I think they were almost mistaken because that rye boom was already really brewing at that point. And I think for the people that are there and kind of in the bourbon scene, you're going to know that rye is you know, higher rye, bourbons, or ryes in general, you alluded to it, Zeke, you know, you might be able to actually, you don't need to age a rye 8 to 12 years. You know, you could age a rye 2 to 4 years and get something that is pretty good, opposed to, you know, something that has to age a little bit longer with the corn or the wheat forward mash.
1: Well, at the same time, you you see people, you know, today, especially some of these crafts, really touting, heirloom corn red corn blue corn it came from this state not to be negative but i mean it still just tastes like shit corn half the time <laughs> but with these rise, even at a super young state two three four years there's so much variance which i'm sure you know the mash and the other components do factor in but as far as a predominant flavor it's not yeah i get that you have some novel corn still tastes like corn to me jimmy cracked corn and i don't care hey i don't care but for the prices i'm not paying them for some of this stuff either
0: <laughs> good point so for me with the 1792 bottled and bond it was super sweet on the nose i got a little bit of rye spice with vanilla and caramel but the biggest thing for me is i really could tell the oak on this one it was almost a bitterness on the nose with the oak that was there On the taste, it's all that kind of stuff that was there on the nose was present in the taste. The rye spice, the vanilla, the caramel, but the oak was really apparent on the the taste with with that spice. I mean, the two biggest words I put down when I was looking at my tasting notes, oak and spicy. The finish, I think, was medium and it left you, it wasn't really thick. I think with this one, it wasn't uh, anything that kind of coated your mouth, but you were left with a little bit of a spicy oak aftertaste. The early times bottled in Bond. On the nose, I got baking spice, warm citrus, a little bit of dark fruit on that nose. Caramel, cinnamon, chocolate candy on my taste. It was that signature brown form and taste to me. The nougat, almost the Heath bar with some dark fruit put in there and then I could also taste the oak on this one. It just wasn't as prevalent as the 1792 for me. Uh, The finish on this, it was slightly spicy, but a warm finish. None of these were going to come up and really knock you over and give you that big hug. But I did feel a little bit of that warmth on the finish, and it lingered a good amount of time. Which one did you like better?
1: Honestly, I, I went into this with an open mind as I do anything else, but 25 bucks for a liter, you can't beat the early times. And I don't know, I almost feel like I need to get an early Kyler endorsement out of this if I can. Well,
0: I have to agree with you. It doesn't happen very often, but I really enjoyed that early times. I think it was the, the dark fruit. You know, it's, it's one of them is going to affect your... Your spice senses a little bit more, and if you like something that's a little bit spicier, I think you might enjoy that 1792 bottled and bond a little bit more than you would the early times. But for me, I love that you know, that chocolate, the candy bar, you know, the toffee to it, the Heath bar. I really enjoy. That a little bit more than you know, and maybe the seventeen ninety two tasted a little bit thinner to me wasn't a terrible bourbon at all. I'm not gonna say it's the worst thing ever. I think when you have a you know high thirties to forty five dollar bottled and bond, when you could go get Heaven Hill for eleven to fifteen dollars, and you could get a liter early times for twenty dollars, you have to bring it if you're in that kind of mid tier category. You're not a, a Toyota Corolla, but you know you might be a Camry, and and you have to have the amenities that a Camry is going to deserve with that higher price tag.
1: Cool. You know, profile wise too, you know, you've got the Heaven Hill, that's your peanut brittle. Early times, brown forming, more darker, chocolatey, which is some oak, obviously with the bitterness. But at the same time, that, that's two of what most people gravitate to. Exactly. I don't know of anyone that's jumping up saying, I want a rye spice to sends a shit out of my tongue.
0: But it's good. I mean, it's not, if you're feeling that spiciness, it's good. I just Don't think it's the Bottled and Bond I would go to first. No. I mean, it
1: almost would fall in a mixer for me.
0: Like Al Young said, it would make a great Manhattan. Yeah. (laughs) That kind of goes... It was, by the way, we should mention a couple days ago, we were late to the party. It was Bottled and Bond Day. So this is something that uh, we that's one of the reasons that we kind of looked at these bottle and bonds that we had the 1792 we realized we hadn't done anything with it yet but let's move on here to the 1792 full proof now 1792 full proof is 125 proof 62.5 percent abv zeke you might be asking me you might say john Why is this coming in at 125 proof? And I would say Zeke. That's because it was the original barrel entry proof. So this bourbon is coming out the same way it went in. Undisclosed mash bill, but the rumors that are out there is that this is 75% corn, 15% rye, 10% malted barley. It is non-age stated, but it is thought that it is at least 8.5 years old.
1: 8.5, huh?
0: Yeah, 8.5.
1: Pretty approximate for rumors.
0: We are being very scientific and approximate <laughs> in here. So we tried three of these. I'm always going to let you go first. Well, but Which
1: I'll even, I don't know, if you don't know the answer, sorry for teeing it up. But I swear I've seen something to where the reason they go with foolproof and that being the entry proof is there's an extra tax or something, if you bottle it at a higher number. I, 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 yes. I, I think I heard this when I was at the Knob Creek pick with Elixir recently, and that's why they keep all the Knob Creek still at the 120, even for a single barrel a small batch. Is just simply because of taxation there, or, or some
0: rule change. Well, it technically isn't bourbon if it enters the barrel over 125. Well, no, so, no, it wasn't
1: entry, it was coming out.
0: Okay, well, the, the barrel entry proof can't exceed 125. And then you can't have bourbon that is ever over one sixty.
1: Yeah, but uh, I, I think what what, what comes out of a lot of these is in that range. I mean, those Knob Creeks were one thirty five to barely still barely still above one twenty. Some nuance as to why you would leave something there, especially between two, you know, different distilleries. I don't know. Like I say, I'll I, you know, I lean on you for that knowledge. Yeah, the bourbon can't (laughs) go
0: in the barrel over 125. That's why Four Roses puts those at 120. If you look at you know something like Peerless, even though it's a rye, their barrel entry proof is 107. It just means that they have to split it with water uh, beforehand. So it's not something they're doing after the juice is aged. It's they are kind of splitting it up before they even put it in the barrel. So it's a different taste profile on those you know different barrel entry proofs. Four Roses feels like there's is dial date at one twenty. It's something I wish we almost asked Al Young when we had him on. That would have been a great question. I wish we thought of it. But I'm sure we, we will be able to talk to him again at some point. Uh, we'd love to have him on again. And thank you again if you're listening, uh, Mr. Young, for coming on with us. But I didn't really find a lot of variance here. Did you? I mean,
1: I found it subjectively going between the three and a side by side but not as much as say we we're at a tasting with friends and you know you're moving around just taking nips of various things I don't think it would be enough to be overly subjective which I, I think we both have notes at least if we want to go well, yeah, get, get into your notes tell me your notes first one I had it was a um, quotations mark hot dark chocolate and then, essentially, the hot, obviously, the alcohol. Palate-wise, dark fruit, but bitters overwhelmed. Sweetness. Finish was more singed than flavor. Two nose was fainter, but sweeter than one. I really had trouble getting a nose all with any of these. I'm not sure about you, but surprisingly, even at you know 125, I expected more of some some fragrance or flavor out of the vapor palette for that one it was creamier but also I felt more bitter than the first one which was somewhat of a curve finish wise um it 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 had some bitterness to it for sure not alcohol sting but but just that dark flavor three thought the nose was again faint um but it was pretty enjoyable seemed to be more sweetness coming off the vapor than alcohol palette it was really Prickly, which I usually equate to a you know rye kick up. Um, it also had sweetness, but that moved pretty fast into a bitter. And for finish, best flavor of the three, but at the same time also the most
0: singe. So, which ones did you like the best? Give me notes. I'm,
1: I'm kind of backwards. I almost think um, you go ahead. I, I'll retaste these while you're rambling because my notes don't match up to my numbers. <laughs>
0: Well, so so what I really got here is I got a lot of oak, caramel, vanilla on the nose, almost a a dark fruit cinnamon spice that was there on the nose as well. It was also present on the palate. I got a lot of the baking spices, that warmth there. Um, I definitely um, got some vanilla. It wasn't overly hot, but I I did get a little bit of a... Not astringency, but I could... It's it's more the alcohol. You know, I did get a little bit of the alcohol there. I didn't... You know, the note I have here, word for word, is taste remains the same throughout. The only differentiator is the punch that's packed. So... As I was trying to figure out which one I actually liked more, I also went back to a quote that Al Young said. He goes, I look for a whiskey that doesn't have too much bite. For me, I almost felt like the first one here had a little more bite. And then I would go taste the second one a little bit later. And I was like, wait, this one actually has a lot of bite. So I think that punch that's being packed is the differentiator. But I also think depending on when you actually sip it, it might be a game changer or it might not, but overwhelmingly, these were similar to me. I didn't get a lot of variants here. I think for the money, for me, it was probably 2-3-1.
1: So, number two would have been Liquor Barn. Number three would have been Cork Dorks. And number one would have been
0: Elixir. And it was funny, because that's one of the things I mentioned, that I thought one had the most bite, and then when I sipped it again, I thought two had the most bite. And eventually, they all kind of blended to be the same for me, and I just went with my original gut. But it <laughs> it was very fluid. I don't think there is a clear winner and a clear loser here. I think as these air out, you let things get to them, they're, they're going to weave back and forth.
1: No, you know, that's the best part of doing blinds, especially over time, et cetera, is just throw it out there, see what you think. Tomorrow might be the same. A couple of hours might be the same, might be different. You know, you never know. And literally, John and I do this for fun for the most part, just to see what we truly come up with.
0: We actually do it to each other during the week to we'll find a way to blind ourselves, mix things up, and either we're together, or we're separate, we're texting about it, but we always try to blind. And
1: with that, I'll chime in with my responses. The second sample is being number one, third sample being number two, and the first being
0: number three. So you had had Liquor Barn, Elixir, and then Cork Dorks.
1: Interesting. So surprisingly, we did both think the Liquor Barn stood out more than the other two. Obviously, two and three varied a good bit. And as John said, there's no prized pig here. It, it, it's not like some other pigs we've had or some things were just day and night difference. They're all good. And, and as John has just mingled what remnants he had from his three into a Glencairn a, a
0: small batch. Does I am now a master different? blender.
1: Does it taste any different though?
0: <laughs> well, here, no, no. You keep your... Oh, I was going to say keep one of them and I'm going to pour this into one of your glasses. Oh, you're thinking. you're just blending them all together.
1: Well, we both have different levels left. Who cares?
0: Well, it's super spicy now that you blend it all together. <laughs> like, I can taste that 125 proof. This thing, you know, the crazy thing about this is that the proof, it, it tastes higher than a 125 proof. Like, I feel like I'm drinking something in the 130s when I drink this, and it's only 125. Because so Zeke's thinking, if you could only see the look on his face, He's lost in thought. I see it,
1: and I guess I'm more perplexed because the flavor on these really stays the same. And granted, there is no age statement, but you would assume with that, you know, more spice kicking up, it's probably younger. But at the same time, they've got to keep these all at a pretty consistent. Well, plat- they say
0: it's probably eight and a half years,
1: but a, at a consistent, you know, floor plus. Temperature section of the rick to get that continual flavor. You know, everybody says, you know, Elmer and Blanton's are always lower and
0: center. And maybe it's one of those things where they're not all in the same warehouse, but they are in similar positions in the different warehouses. Yeah. Because Barton does have a lot of warehouses.
1: Yeah, I was blown away.
0: So you almost wonder, is it one of those things where they place them in a similar area in every rick? And then that's what they pull out and say it's going to be foolproof.
1: I mean, I I, I would have to lean that way.
0: Um, One day they'll let us talk to them and we'll find out these answers. But for now, we'll just keep doing blinds.
1: Granted, the the folks in the gift shop when I was there were really nice.
0: Well, Susie there is one of the best tour guides. Um,
1: But I don't know if they'll give us full answers, John. I think you might be uh, expecting
0: a little too much. Or they might give us some answers off the record so that we know and everybody else is on a need-to-know basis. But speaking of need-to-know, Zeke, what did you think the people need to know between that bottled and bond 1792 and the early times? Which one would you pick over the other? I think we pretty much talked about this, but let's give our thesis statement at the end.
1: Perfect. I like it. Um, We have been known to somewhat omit these things unintentionally, bottled and bond wise i still stand by my uh, my lone horse early times i mean for the price i know the availability is limited but there seems to be enough out there where hopefully you have some friend or friends that can get you one for cost 25 for a liter. i really don't think you'll be upset unless you just flat out don't like the brown foreman profile 1792 for its price point in the marketplace. If it's going to be a yearly release, then there's going to be a lot of variants and uh, laser codes sitting on people's shelves, I'm afraid.
0: You know, for Bottled and Bond, and this is what we did talk about already, is that I would probably you know stick with the, the perennials like now the early times, the Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond, McKenna, all those, you know, the old Bardstown, the Evan Williams, any one of those for the price is punching above its weight compared to this seventeen ninety two. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying if I'm gonna spend forty dollars opposed to eleven dollars and have an age stated six year old bottled and bond, I'm gonna do that.
1: Yeah. It's uh definitely overdressed for the event.
0: And I think with these $17.92 foolproof picks, at $50, you know, I can't tell you to pick one pick over the other. They're all good. It's all a bottle that I don't mind having in the, the house, and I have multiple bottles of 1792 dollars full in the house. So that's kind of where I stand. I, I think it's really good at $50. You're going to get those solid store picks in a Four Roses pick a Dob Creek store pick, and a 1792 full pick at that price point.
1: Couldn't agree more. Neither one of us have been disappointed with any foolproof pick, but subjectively having three different ones side by side, there's really not a ton of variance.
0: Agreed. You know what has a lot of variance? My voice as the show goes on? No. All the ways that people can get in touch with us. So download our podcast. I want to remind you we are now on Spotify and iHeartRadio. Go find us there. Download us. Subscribe to us. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podknife, YouTube, whatever your favorite provider is. Go ahead and use that. You can find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, on Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. You can find us on Twitter at Bourbon Dads. Please go into iTunes, go to Google Play, whatever you can. Leave us a five-star review. Write a review as well and tell us what you think about us, why you like us. If you don't like us, reach out to us and tell us why. We'll try to fix it. We know we're not perfect. We're, we're doing this more for the fun of it. So if for whatever reason it's not fun to you, reach out to us. Let us know. We'll fix it. But Zeke, where else can the folks find us?
1: Go Music City, USA.
0: Well, they will find us there again next week. We will be back with another show for you. Until then, cheers, Slangevar, and have a great week. Night, y'all.